Hello and welcome to Tape Notes, the podcast that looks behind the scenes at the magic of recording and producing music. Every episode we'll be reuniting an artist and producer and talking through some of the highlights from their collaboration in the studio. So join us as we lift the lid on the creative process and the inner workings of music production to see what lies beneath. Hello, I'm John Kennedy, and joining me for this episode of Tape Notes are Georgia and producer Mark Ralph to talk about how they recorded and produced the album Seeking Thrills. Georgia is a multi-instrumentalist producer and songwriter from London. Her music career kicked off following a stint at the Brit School when she started drumming professionally for artists such as Quez, K Tempest and Mikachu. Encouraged by her collaborators, she began spending more time on her own music and in 2014 released her first EP, Come In. Following her second EP in 2015, she was signed to Domino Records and later that year released her self-titled debut album, which earned her comparisons to Missy Elliott and M.I.A. Having continued to develop her individual blend of electropop, R&B and house, her 2019 single, About Work the Dance For, gained her a nomination for Independent Track of the Year at the AIM Independent Music Awards, where she went on to win the One to Watch category. Georgia has provided vocals to tracks by a variety of artists, including Hon, Leftfield, and more recently, Muramasa and Gorillaz. Her second album, Seeking Thrills, released this year, reached number one in the UK indie charts and is currently nominated for the Mercury Prize 2020. Mark Ralph is an award-winning producer, mixer, and Ivan Novello-nominated songwriter, whose vast back catalogue contains an impressive and diverse list of artists, including Clean Bandit, Years and Years, Rudimental, Tom Walker, and Friendly Fires. Mark's career in music began as a session guitarist, where he spent time performing and recording with the likes of Ringo Starr, Sister Sledge, The Pet Shop Boys, and his own band, The Filthy Dukes. Having made a name for himself as one of the UK's most in-demand producers for both mainstream and more alternative artists, he won Producer of the Year at the 2016 UK A&R Awards. To date, Mark has delivered five UK number one singles, two UK number one albums, and a plethora of global top 10 records. Today, I'm joining you from my home in South London, Georgia is at home in Northwest London, and Mark joins us from Newry in Northern Ireland to talk about how Seeking Thrills was recorded and produced. And what better way to start our conversation than by hearing something from the record? This is Never Let You Go. And just a heads up, this episode was originally recorded for the AIM House Live online event at this year's Great Escape Festival. We had a few technical issues, so do bear with us for the odd glitch here and there. It is Georgia with Never Let You Go from the Seeking Thrills album and welcome along to a special live edition of Tape Notes for AIM. My name is John Kennedy and I'm joined by Georgia, Georgia Barnes and also Mark Ralph in two different locations. I'm in South London. Where are you both? I think you should go first, Mark. (laughs) I'm near uh, Newry in County Down. Uh, in Northern Ireland, uh, where I've relocated temporarily to work. And um, 
I'm surrounded by sheep and uh, I've got lots of um, amazing equipment here in a very um, remote studio called Take Six Studio. And it's uh, run by a guy called Pat, Pat McCall, who is an electronics expert. And he's built a lot of the equipment that you can see behind yeah, me. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, uh, that's yeah. and he builds his own um, Neve mic prees. And he's, wow. um, uh, as a special present, he's made one for me um, out of all wow. of the original um, Neve mic components that he's sourced and collected over the years. So... Uh, I'm getting a little a little piece of uh, Take Six Studio to take back to Club Ralph with me uh, when I come back to London in June. Which we shall be using. <laughs> <laughs> and Georgia, you're in your home studio set up in West London. Yeah, I'm 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 still in London, quarantined in uh, NW10. Um less uh, romantic than Mark, <laughs> but um you know, it's it's quite creative in this room. It's a small room. My my dad built this studio back in the kind of late 90s and it was where left field were kind of going to make the demos for the r- third record but um sadly they split up and uh, so this <laughs> the studio became slightly sort of like tinged with a bit of uh you know bad feelings but um i moved in here about 6 years ago and i've kind of created sort of songs and and all sorts in here really yeah, so a lot of stuff for Seeking Thrills was initiated in that room that you're in. Yeah, it was. Um, yeah, I wrote I wrote all the demos in here, and then luckily Club Ralph Mark Studio is about is round the corner. So it was kind of a dream come true when Mark and I, well, when Mark decided to uh, give it a go working with me, and uh, it was excellent because. Um, it was just sort of about ten minute walk. Although Mark will know that I never ended up walking to Mark's studio. I always end up getting an Uber. <laughs> Terrible thing to admit, but uh, tis true. But yeah, no. So yeah, all the songs were sort of um, thought about here and then taken to Mark. So yeah. Fantastic. Well, we're going to look at two of those songs today as part of this special episode of Tape Notes for AIM, which I think was originally intended to be part of The Great Escape. Um, and we're all going to be in Brighton having this conversation. But instead, of course, we're in these three different locations, but still making it happen, which is very mm. exciting. So thanks for doing this. Um, and the first of the songs that we're going to look at is started out appropriately enough in a way. And where are we going to begin? Are we going to begin with demos then, Georgia? Well, I thought it would be nice to take it back to the beginning of how I sort of came up with the basics of this song and then just to hear the kind of where Mark like took it really and just to see that kind of journey that both of us went on with the song I think is quite remarkable and it was one of the first songs where Mark was able to really just go in on all the mix and the production and was able to kind of steer it in this direction that was really quite symbolic of the rest of the record. So I thought it was a good song to start with in that respect. Um, So I don't know really where to start. Basically, this song, when I began to kind of write the songs for Seeking Thrills, I, I thought maybe to just give a little bit of a personal background, I was 
I was sober, I wasn't drinking. I was kind of embarking on this personal journey of getting healthier as a person, but I was still going out to all the clubs and still making sure that I was going out and seeing music. And it was a real great experience for me to go to these clubs sober and instead of getting out off my face or whatever, I would really be kind of enjoying the music that the DJs were playing and seeing, observing just, you know, how people are on the dance floor. And it became really like a wonderment to me and just to observe these incredible people finding each other, you know, losing their minds, being transported elsewhere. And I think it really gave me a kind of... Um, stimulus of lyrics and and ideas of of these songs and started out is a total example of that really it was I came back from um, a club that was playing a lot of house music and I remember getting back into the studio a couple of days after and I just bought an OB6 um, keyboard and I remember just coming across this sound and the sound was um, what the chord sequence um, was. So this sort of beginning, I'll just play the... So that's the sound that I kind of came across on the OB6. And suddenly I came up with these four chords and I thought, oh, this sounds quite disco, sounds quite housey. And I just, I, I rolled with it really. Which is it's quite interesting. That's how I often start songs is through sounds, really, or get an idea or, you know, it kind of stimulates some kind of creativity. And that sound was really, um, yeah, it was the starting point of this song. And um, I guess I wanted to take it on this, this sort of housey journey, but I also was sort of thinking about yeah the length of it being quite a long song and it just slowly evolves um I wasn't thinking in any way shape or form about a pop song I was more thinking about a a sort of techno-y house journey so this demo this first demo that I sort of did in my studio is a lot slower and sounds completely different um, but I'll play a little bit of it just so you can hear. Yeah, that would be great. So already you can see how slow it is. I'm as hopeless as a dog and I can't get you Told you And is this straight after the club? So have you come home from clubbing now and, and you're getting, going straight onto the OB6? Or is it the day after? I, it was a couple of days after. Yeah. And I saw these two people kind of find each other on the dance floor. And um, that kind of stimulated the lyrics of something being very pure at the start and then obviously kind of going off and, on a relationship journey. But I thought that first moment of something, that's kind of what I was gibbering, jabbering, singing, I think. Yeah, and so were you, you, you had that idea in your mind, are you singing these words off the top of your head or did you sketch anything down for you to work from? No, I, this really, what you hear now is what I was doing. Mm. Oh yeah, and then it sort of takes on, I knew that I wanted it to go on this kind of journey. I didn't want it to be like, I wanted the vocals to almost be a secondary part to 
the the music um and that's actually where my headspace was at the beginning of writing this record i just i was still a little bit unconfident with my vocal really and you can kind of hear this on this first demo i think it's more about the kind of um musicalities yeah that second sound that you've introduced where's that coming from is that still the ob6 but just a different chord i brought in uh, so I, I i play in my studio i've got my kind of go-to synths to write on and that's the ob6 and then the nord wave and the nord wave usually um i play all my bass lines on the nord wave although later on when you when i take it to mark we'll kind of maybe keep some of them but we'll beef that up with the moog um, which i'm sure mark will tell you about but i with this song i didn't 100 percent know where i was taking it from the get-go it wasn't like i came up with a structure i just knew i knew those chords were kind of euphoric and and good i was kind of just rolling with those and then everything else musically was going around those chords but it's as you can hear from this demo, it's so different. It, it was it was really amazing for me to discover this because I, it suddenly brought back just how different it was, really. So is that what you took to Mark those sections? So no. So then what happened was was that I then had a engineer called Sean Oakley come from LA. Um, Lawrence from Domino thought it'd be good to just pair me up with a sound engineer and somebody who could just you know help me develop the demos and so then Sean and I kind of worked a bit on the demo and then I took it to Mark but yeah I, I do have a little bit of that actually shall I shall I play it a little yeah, bit yeah that would that? be great yeah because it's quite interesting it's qu- it's quite hard to just kind of break down my process of writing because it's it's not only thinking about a song it's also thinking about the kind of production and everything else and with this song it's a real example of like there wasn't a song structure it wasn't like I'd written like a verse chorus verse bridge it really was just a kind of hickledy pickledy mess and then bringing it sort of together and that's the beauty of when I work with Mark because Mark kind of heard the choruses and the verses in what I'd done and then we kind of turned it into the song that you hear now but it's quite interesting I think in this Sean Oakley one that I did there is the bit where I do tough up yourself now um, if I can find it be wicked yeah so I, I came up with the be wicked and bowl now don't be going up the rails now kick down the hearty cause when we started yeah, and I've already kind of got a little bit of that housey four and four. Yeah, so I, with Sean, then worked on adding more lyrics to it and trying to, you know, make some sense out of the madness <laughs> that it was. But I think from the get-go, I felt very inspired by this song and it was the first song of Seeking Thrills that I'd written and I felt like this is a start of a new journey. Yeah. Mark and I had worked previously on Feel It, but it wasn't really 
I think Mark, you just sort of mix that one really. Yeah, yeah, you? that's right. Um, yeah, yeah, and so started out was really one that Mark got to kind of do his production and take it apart, which was a fantastic process that we went on. So Georgia turns up by Uber round to Club <laughs> Ralph with with these, <laughs> with an OB6 these bits and the pieces. Boot. Yeah, yeah, and, and and then what happens? Well, obviously, you know, having work together on i think the things we were doing previous to this were just sort of getting singles ready wasn't it in fact was it was feel it yeah. but we did did another track called try i think uh, oh yes before, we did yes which didn't get released in the end so uh, by the time we came to this one i think we'd you know we'd already become familiar with each other's kind of working process and um this as georgia says it, this was a chance to do something a bit more in depth and kind of like really go in on the track mm-hmm. and start thinking about the structure of the song and you know all of the different things like um you heard a bit of the baseline there where it was very kind of almost less repetitive than what it became and we were kind of referencing mr fingers you know i don't know if you remember at the time georgia and we were also listening totally. to the, the yeah, records yeah. that i mean like the Kanye one fade that sampled Mr. Fingers and just sort of listening to some contemporary things and some more, you I know, think, classic. I think that was, sorry, Mark, I think that's what was so great when I came to you was that, you know, you could hear those sort of influences and then we had long chats about all that music and you love that music as well. Mm. Obviously, that's kind of your background too. And I think it was like we both wanted to make a song in that direction in a way and that's why it felt kind of exciting to embark upon that but you really yeah you totally steered it in that direction which was so good I'll try and find that bass because that's a good example of what we did was that we the bass line on my demo was played on the Nord and it kind of had this walking baseline feel to it but it I think Mark just felt like that should be a real like reference that's the reference of a house record or you know all the records that Mark said Mr Fingers and the Kanye fade one you know it's it's all about the baseline and the groove and the demo just really didn't quite feel like that so we I think we replaced the Nord Wave with an SH101 and the Mm. SH101 went like this which you can really hear as classic kind of housey bassline really and then we doubled that with the Nord so the Nord I think we replayed it actually maybe and we just worked on the sound of it within the keyboard so that's there but then with the SH101 over it it just gives it that kind of attack. And I think once we kind of established that baseline, then we added the OB6 and the... Ju- well, oh yeah, we doubled the OB6 chords, the sequences, with the Jupiter just to give it, again, an attack. But once we had that walking baseline and then we added those chords over it, I think we were good to go, really. Mm. 
I think everything else just kind of fitted around it. Would it I mean, is that fair to say, Mark? I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I think, you know, we, you know, I think the first stage of most of the songs that we've, you know, when they come to me, we try and come up with the best structure. It's quite a fluid process at the beginning where we kind of like, oh, what if mm. this were to go here and what if we make this verse this length and then we go to a chorus and we try and sort of almost mm. paint a, a picture with broad brush strokes to begin with so mm. that you can kind of hear the way the vocal is going to be structured throughout the song. And then, you know, as we go along, sort of part of the process is listening to lots of other records, some that we, you know, George has come in and gone, uh, you know, I, I actually loved this record. Is there anything we can kind of be influenced by on this record and sometimes it's something quite substantial and sometimes it's you know just a tiny little transition of some sort you know obviously you've got to be careful not to just plagiarize things and I don't think that's the point you know a lot of it is sort of getting influences from a broad kind of palette of ideas which are just based on all of your favorite records and we've got a lot of favorite records that are common to both of us. We like music from yeah. the same sort of era and lots of different yeah. eras as well. But I think once you've taken little influences from maybe six or seven different sources, what you end up creating with, it's like having six or seven paintbrushes for different colours. You end up with something that's quite original because it's not directly taking from anything in particular it's just um making a a palette of all your favorite things that you think you'd quite like to hear in that piece of music and coming up with something that sounds very original and sounds very unique you know and, and i think um that applies to all sorts of music and art you know everybody's got their their reference points because if they didn't have any if they never listened to music in their lives they wouldn't have any musical ideas if you know what I mean you you have to input the information somehow there has to be that kind of bank of knowledge to kind of draw from and um I think that's what happened with started out and continued mm. throughout the the rest of the tracks we did it was that early mm. process of establishing the structure of the song obviously give or take any changes down the line when we felt we needed to but um I think if you get the structure right then you can start filling in the gaps and painting the bits, fleshing out the totally. skeleton, so to speak. I think that was one of the amazing things of actually taking this song to Mark. And that's one of your gifts, Mark, is that you're able to just hear the, the bits where they should be, mm. you know. And I, I think for me, it was a real learning curve and a real joy to sit there and actually watch you do that. Um but particularly was started out, I think it was... Am, am I just, right in yeah. thinking on... I think we talked about this the other day because there are occasions... Obviously, you like to use a lot of the old gear that I've got in the studio, the old synths. Yes. And the, not everybody does, you know. Some, some yeah, people no, are, are very, you know, wedded to the, the newer kind of in-the-box yeah. kind of sounds. And that's fine, you know. I like having the luxury of having both options, you know, and then totally, other people yeah. will come in and literally won't really be able to get into the computer generated sounds and will want to have a physical keyboard to play on. But I, I remember telling you and um, 
I did a couple of Hot Chip albums. One, one of the the second of the two, Why Make Sense? And yeah. on that album, we went out to the countryside and it, we were in a studio that had loads and loads of keyboards. And just for a laugh, we decided to hook 13 of them up at the same time and <laughs> try and make them all play in time with each other. Because <laughs> that's quite fun because you're not you're only using the computer to spit MIDI out. You're not actually using it to um, be running sounds that you've recorded so much so i think we discussed that and i think was it this track that we made we did. all of the synths all play yeah. at once <laughs> we we did we did i, I think was, that yeah. was the jupiter this the 101 and the nord it would have been as well the nord yeah we all we because i suppose a drum I, I was qu- going as well. oh yeah yeah and the drums we got the 808 yeah going. The 808, yeah. I think all the rhythm here, so... I think that basically how we started that was all via through exactly, like middying it all up and having all of them talk to each other. Yeah. Now, that's quite fraught with danger because obviously at any moment one of the, like the drum machine can just forget the drum pattern you've put into it. They're not as stable yeah. as as you might like, especially when they're 40 years old or whatever, these things. So yeah. sometimes you, when you've got something really good going, you just have to hit record and get it recorded so that, you know, it's at least saved just in case something <laughs> starts not behaving yeah. itself. But um, it's quite nice to have these instruments all going at the same time. It's how studios would have operated at the time of some of the records that we were kind of referencing so it was almost well, that's what our stimulus was yeah we were yeah. like well let's do it like how they did it do you know yeah. what i mean that's what we were doing yeah absolutely and i think um there's certainly you know some people really are sensitive to the differences in timing between the way drum machines groove which are independent of the computer and the way that the computer grooves, um, the drum machines, I would say, are probably more likely to have imperfections in that um, the samples that they're playing and the sounds that they're playing aren't necessarily edited with the same kind of accuracy. So, you know, people used to say the, the Oberheim DMX has a tiny little gap of silence before the kick drum transient, therefore kick drums are always late yeah. you know by a very very fractional a fraction of a millisecond but that in itself gives you a certain feel and you know those small differences on a you know repetitive drum loop can make make a lot of difference to the way that you you know perceive the rhythm so i think um it was quite nice that we had you know that kind of old school aspect to what we were doing on this particular track because totally. the track itself is very much um, rooted in that kind of late 80s, mid to late 80s Chicago house sound and feel and, and vibe. So when you have them all linked up like that, what does it mean in terms of what is being played or what is happening in the studio as you're recording? So is, <laughs> is it the case that you're playing and that playing is triggering all these other things or is it a case that you just kind of press one button and, and away they go? Well, that's exactly, yeah, the latter, because mm. normally on a, on a computer, if you're programming in, you're, you're still using MIDI, but the MIDI is being stored in the computer and it's triggering a 
synth or a drum machine that resides in the computer in in the box as it were you know it, it's very locked in with the tempo of the host machine and it's not having to come out of the computer and play something externally but when you do it mm. the way we did this you've got to first of all send a midi clock to the 808 for example and program the beat in the 808 and get the computer to run the 808 externally then for your baseline you've got to set up another midi track send it out of another MIDI output to the SH-101 and get the SH-101 to um, be triggered by the MIDI notes that you're sending it. And then you'll do the same for the Nord. And then we, we played, as well as having your OB-6 chords being played on the OB-6, which MIDI would have to be sent to for that, you would send the same MIDI information to the Jupiter-8 and have the Jupiter-8 mm. play that. And once you get them all going, it's almost like each instrument is being played live. It's not being played live mm. by humans. It's being played live by different streams of MIDI going to every single instrument. The, to the drum machine's MIDI clock, which is just a reference for the drum machine to follow. So you still maintain the uh, groove of the drum machine. And then MIDI notes going to each instrument that is then interpreting that MIDI information and playing the chords or the melodies. Now... Obviously, this is where things can go wrong. You can get something brilliant and it's all working together and you've got seven or eight things all playing at the same time. And then all of a sudden, oh no, the 808 stopped. What's gone wrong there? We've lost the beat. Oh dear. <laughs> right, now we've got to program it again. And it's kind of like that's, I guess that's that moment you kind of go, okay, well, now I understand why people do it in the modern way and not like this, you know, because the, those situations are very infuriating. But at the same time, there's also that kind of urgency of quick, we better record this before it all goes wrong, you know. And also the other good thing about using MIDI to trigger external boxes is that whilst you're, let's say you've got it ready, you, you want to do a take of these eight synths and drum machines all playing at the same time. All you have to do is hit record and then you're getting everything all at once, all in a live take. But while that's going down, you can be running around to each different synth and be playing around with the parameters, you know, the filters and the, the sounds on it. And it actually gives you that kind of unique experience of actually being able to play around with things as they're being recorded. Now, you know, if you do that once, you could kind of go, OK, that was a good take of all of them. Let's set the tracks up again. Let's do another whole take and we'll play around with some other stuff while this is happening. And um maybe do several takes of that you can choose all the best bits all the best you know take two we we had a great middle eight bit and that's that you know when you've got two people in the room or you've got three or four people in the room that's a really good way of including everybody in the process you know and so yeah i mean i think that's the one time we did i don't think we ever went quite as adventurous as that on any of the other tracks we do do no, the live takes and we did use the external gear but we yeah, didn't no, do that it was doing it all at the same time kind of thing it was for me a real breakthrough working like that with mark it really did suddenly open my eyes to midi and the capabilities and and the creativity that you obviously can have with midi and i think previously i was more into just because you know my first record was just made in my bedroom and I didn't really have the gear or whatever I was starting to build up some outboard gear but nothing like when I entered Mark's studio and it was there was something very familiar 
there as well because of my father being in a kind of electronic band and you know I was sort of brought up with studio equipment around in my houses and flats so it but walking into Mark's studio it was, it was like walking into like a home you know and I just immediately was just like awoken by these capabilities of old gear and and how you can still really use them in a modern way and I think it really did change my idea of how to create music after this session of started out. Are we able to hear that in action in any way? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, I can play... Um, this is the sort of main rhythm really here. Mark, or I can't remember, would have programmed that in. And then there were some other elements that were from the demo that... Mark felt was good, so there was an egg shaker. Oh yeah, I had this sort of, because the song was quite influenced by African rhythms as well, so I did, I had a few things going on there, and then obviously the bass line. So that would be the SH-101 and the Nord all midi up playing. And then the Jupiter, as Mark said, playing the... And then the OB-6 to just give it... Well, just to add that sound that was inspired the whole track. So that would have been really the main, the main elements that were midi'd, I think. So you'd made a few passes at that yeah. and combined your favourite bits and then you would do the vocal as a separate thing because it, there are kind of different sections to the vocal on this song, aren't there? Because you you sing in different styles yeah. at different points. Yeah, I again, this was a real learning curve working with Mark with this. Previous to this, I'd only recorded vocals in my bedroom or, yeah, I'd never really sang at a vocal booth before. But as Mark said, the first thing we did was we, after we had all these MIDI bits, we, you know, the structure of the song was important and then that kind of influenced the lyrics. I had already come in with some lyrics. I had this idea of, you know, as I said, being in a club and being kind of, you know, that first moment of release or transportation to somewhere else or meeting someone and this kind of energy of feeling bold and you can do anything um, you want with that feeling was sort of like a stimulus for the lyrics. But it was really, yeah, I can't quite put my finger on it. It was, I was nervous, I think. That's the truth. I, I was I don't think at that point I'd recorded vocals with you, Mark, maybe. I, I can't remember now. Again, it was a massive learning curve and a total joy to just be introduced to that way of thinking, how I can use my voice. And you're always very encouraging and you always kind of get the references of the voice. You know, you're always referencing Kate Bush and, you know, various other singers that I... Yeah. I've kind of been brought up on and I think for this song it was really I remember you saying quite a lot about um energy yeah I remember yeah. the wicked and bold bit you were like you know having that energy but also not going over the top it's like <laughs> finding that sweet <laughs> that sweet balance of somewhere in between and that's psychologically it's quite 
that was yeah. kind of mad to get myself into that headspace of singing like that because it was like finding a sweet spot but then not going over the top but then yeah I just remember that being a great challenge yeah well it's also difficult doing vocals in a new environment as well and there's lots of people who I work with who have done studios in their own working environment in their own studio and they've got lots of time to do things lots of times and and keep kind of chipping away at it at their own pace and that can be quite good but sometimes just being put on the spot and being given a limited number of times to go through it can actually give you a different kind of energy can bring a different energy because you're kind of some people call it red light fever you know where you suddenly get a much heightened sense of almost anxiety but sometimes that can bring out a uh, a different kind of energy than if you're just trying it a million times at your own leisure do you know what i mean and and i think as long as the person who's directing you a bit like being an actor in a movie or something you're kind of just relying on the other person to tell you what to do and and i think you kind of have to rely on that person mm. whereas when you're doing it on your own in your own studio in your own environment you're kind of directing yourself and you you haven't got that objectivity of somebody else saying oh no that was good keep that or do that or do a bit more of that or no don't do that uh, it doesn't sound right you know <laughs> so i think there's a lot of benefit from like you say moving out of your own studio and going yeah. in somewhere else where somebody else is is kind of telling you what to do and you can almost i mean i do this i'm a i'm a guitarist by trade and when i've i was doing sessions or i was in bands i would play something but i would be quite um glad that somebody else was passing judgment on it and i didn't have the responsibility of deciding whether that was a good take or whether it wasn't a good take or what to do differently mm. you know it takes a bit of getting used to just giving yourself over to being kind of directed and produced like that but it is good because i think you get to the end result a bit quicker and a bit more satisfactorily as well and also i'm totally the, the way i work as you know georgia I, mm. I don't like doing a million takes because i no. i feel like after after a certain you know maybe maybe two or three uh, times to really get into it and to really nail the the detail of, of what you're doing as well as the overall vibe and then yeah. by another five or six after that usually you've kind of between the different takes you've got one that you can make yeah. from it you can comp and then then it's time to move on do the next section that you're looking at yeah. because i feel like i mean what we we used to do in in the olden days uh, you know when it was kind of right we've got to get every single syllable right it was kind of like drop in drop in drop in micro drop in get this one little syllable right and i think mm. i think that doesn't lead to very sort of cohesive vocals i like kind of taking larger chunks which mm. you know it keep the performance aspect intact and i think that's when you listen to your performance on started out for example it kind of feels like almost like one take really it doesn't feel like it really does it feels like a performance yeah. can we hear yeah could we hear some of these vocals yeah sure i'll just play them should i just literally just play it from the beginning started out i never believed it i was so hopeless when it hit i couldn't keep up with you then we were 
trying aimlessly to always We wanted the vocals to fit around the kind of disco chords really. Back when we started out, I never could conceive it. But I'll tough up myself now. I remember trying to going back to what I was saying, trying to sing in this kind of way that was innocent but also had an attitude to it. Tough up yourself now. Don't be going off the rails now. Kick down the heartache. Cause when we started. Yeah, and then this kind of rhythmic vocal came from reggae. I remember listening to a now back in the arms of somebody who saved us we are wicked young fools who behave now back in the arms of somebody who saved us we are wicked and bold we are wicked and bold we are wicked and bold we are wicked and bold. i think i often i'm not a traditional singer in the sense that i always think about rhythm i'm always obsessed with how I mean maybe that's I don't know but presumably I, that's because you're a drummer yeah yeah maybe that is why I think with a, with a degree in, been... in percussion yeah <laughs> <laughs> well I've just always been interested in the voice and it not necessarily doing traditional things with it I don't know I think, but I think it's I think that, an yeah. interesting point because there are so many records that you don't realise that the actual swing yeah, of the yeah. entire record is coming from the vocal. You know, take yeah, a lot yeah. of R&B records, for example, and you just assume mm. that they've got a lot of swing. But mm. often the beats are very, very straight and they're very kind of mm. like they don't have a lot of 16ths or whatever. Or, you know, the track as a whole is really being dictated mm. by the vocal and the way the vocal plays on and off the beat, you know, and, and it syncopates yeah. and kind of plays around the beat. So I think it's um, as well as, you know, your kind of drummer influence and, and obviously you're very yeah. kind of, you know, aware of being tight rhythmically or, you know, mm. and, and all the nuances of rhythm. I think mm. uh, also, it, it you know, a, a vocal, the swing that the vocal brings to the track can be very profound i think you know and uh, mm. you can almost give it a feel with a very sparse track you can give you, you know the vocal can be the main thing that's giving it its swing or its feel or its you know yeah that's interesting i, I think for me also uh, this track was really the beginnings of me thinking that i actually could have confidence being a singer and definitely coming out of this session with mark i felt more like a singer in a way and that was a very important point of the whole making of the record it was that suddenly there was this turning point of like actually you know what people want to hear at the end of the day is something that can latch hold of and that's what Mark sort of has taught me really throughout working with him is that the vocal really is the thing that people latch hold on to and although you know production is incredible and it's so inventive and creative I think a vocal is the glue that holds it all together and I think previously I I didn't really I think I've always understood that but I didn't think I had it in me to do and um, I'm still learning you know still developing but this song I remember that feeling of just being oh okay maybe I can do this actually maybe maybe I have got it in me yeah, but there's, <laughs> there's also a, a sort of r rich history of drummers coming out from behind the kit and becoming the singer you know Phil Collins springs to mind 
as well as Godly. Yeah, or God, Dave Grohl. Dave even. Grohl, yeah. Godly and Cream yeah. as well, I think. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All the men. <laughs> All the legends. I'm sure, I'm sure there are some female examples. But, I mean, we should mention that, of course, you know, it's not surprising to hear about this because you spent mm. many years drumming with other people in various different roles, be it with, mm. with Kate Tempest and a whole series of fantastic artists that you always brought something to the table. I mean, I've mentioned this to you quite a few times, Georgia, but I always mm. felt that any time I saw any of the artists that you performed with, you raised their game. You added so much wow. to their live performance. But at the same time, because you also were conscious of being part of a team, you would not try and steal the limelight but now that you are the artist you've got to be <laughs> in the limelight now. you've got no choice but it's interesting that those skills come to the fore in that you know as a mm. drummer to sing rhythmically we go with your groove both vocally and with the the drums that you create and mm. it's interesting that you had to kind of go through this um, experience to develop your confidence and develop that understanding that no this is what I am doing here I am in effect your leading percussively with your vocals as much yeah. as you are with all the drums that you create for the tracks yeah. so then you combine it all and you end yeah. up with it's, an amazing piece of music that gets people on the dance floor I think you've hit the nail here I think that's why it is quite a unique song is that it's it's traditional in a sense but it's not traditional in a sense and it's all those combined things that makes it just this kind of unique sort of pop song in a way I was so hopeless when it hit I couldn't keep up with you never really thought it would have the impacts that it had on radio I think that was another sort of beauty of working with Mark in that he has this again another gift to just like you know just sort of sprinkle that magic dust and it's like on radio I don't yeah. know how Mark does that he's a master at it and I think we always knew it was a real jam. It was real, like, dancey, and I sort of thought, okay, yeah, this is like, you know, perhaps people are going to connect to it. But I had no idea that it would have that sort of longevity that it had on radio and kind of propel me to this next sort of stage of my career, really. It really was the song that, you know, started the whole campaign on such a high. and. I think that's why I always have a real special connection to this to this song. Yeah. We are wicked young fools who behave now back in the arms of somebody who saved us. We are wicked young fools who behave now back in the arms of somebody who saved us. We are wicked young fools who behave. Yeah, I mean it is great as well because it meant that um, people found out about Georgia just through hearing this song, just getting into this song, exactly. and that pressure of that I think maybe you did feel around the first album where, you know, you felt, oh, I'm kind of 
coming to the front of the stage now. It's all got to be about me. And I, I think it took you a while to come to terms with that. But here, because the song went out first, you didn't have to do any live shows before the song went out. Exactly. People already had that song. They kind of were welcomed into your world and drawn into your world because of the song. And so that allowed you a kind of more comfortable position to start building for this second album, which uh, has been fantastic, you know, yeah. and and it's that combination. And it's interesting that, you know, when Started Out started out, you know, <laughs> it was slower and more elongated. Yeah. And then you, you take it to Club Ralph and Mark brings his ability to structure something <laughs> and kind of bring it to the bare essence of it so that it can connect with people. Yeah. And that's why that combination is so important. And that's why artist-producer totally. relationship is so interesting because it needs mm. the two of you to come together to be able to recognize the different strengths within that combination and i think that's what happened with started out we should also point out that uh tris who you referred to georgia um is helping us in another remote yeah. setting to help play some <laughs> of the music you're playing us today so thank you tris um you're the silent but vital part of this podcast he today. Is. You may have heard us talk about Tape It before, and if you haven't, then let me fill you in, as they are the sponsor of today's episode with a fantastic offer for you. Tape It is an iPhone recording app made by musicians for musicians. Many of our guests on Tape Notes, music industry friends and listeners rely on voice notes to record their early ideas. People like the Lumineers, Ezra Collective and Fred again have all shared recordings with us made on voice notes. But what you wouldn't have heard are the long pauses where they're searching for those recordings. We wouldn't want to put you through that. As you can understand, organising and finding the right notes, let alone a specific part, can be a nightmare. Tape It solves all of that voice memo chaos with intuitive labelling features, including automatic instrument detection, markers and collaborative mixtapes, meaning you can share band practices, organise set lists and brainstorm ideas with co-writers and band members. Plus, you can record straight from your lock screen and attach text and photo notes to each recording. One of our favourite features within Tapeit Pro is that you can record in stereo using two microphones along with gentler dynamic compression to give a much more natural sound than any of the usual apps. It's a huge upgrade to the microphone and all-round audio quality. It really helps support the podcast whenever you engage with our sponsors. So if Tapeit sounds like an app you'd use, then do us a favour. Pause the episode, head to the link in a recent episode show notes, or visit tape.it forward slash tape notes and give tape it a go. That's tape.it forward slash tape notes. You can download for free or use the promo code tape notes for 50% off tape it pro. Thank you. And now on with the show. Did you do it? Honestly, Tape It is fantastic. All of the Tape Notes team members are complete converts. And excitingly, some of our guests have started to use it as well. So I really would recommend checking it out. But we're going to go from started out to About Work, The Dance Floor, which is actually the second track on the album, isn't it? They're sequenced in that way. Yeah, we sequenced the album so that the first half is just this kind of like high energy, all the singles kind of vibe and then we slightly take a different journey some people have sort of described it as a bit of a drug experience <laughs> in that you start off with a high and then you slowly come down to this sort of come down sort of thing but anyway that's uh, another chap uh, but um i thought it'd be good to just highlight this song because again it's 
Mark and I, and particularly Mark, just hearing the influences of all the references and just totally going with it. And again, the sort of highlighting all of that and picking out the kind of interesting melodies and interesting sort of nuances and then structuring the song into into this kind of pop song really and I think what makes this song different is the process I knew I wrote this song with the intention of it being a pop song where it started out I it was more of a um, sort of let's see where this goes type thing whereas about where the dance floor was written with a verse chorus you know bridge in mind really and Mark elevated that and again did his thing on it where he really took it apart and restructured it and it turned into what it is now would you would you agree Mark (laughs) oh yeah absolutely and you know I think every song that we did during the process of making the album we kind of would sit down at the beginning and go right what's the concept of this track what is it going to be you know before we before we just jumped head first into it and you know that's I think we did that with Started Out and I, I seem to remember us sort of, you know, going through quite a lot of different influences and obviously a lot of people have compared it to Robin, you know, and I think that's a fair comparison because we're both fans and we're both kind of, yeah. you know, influenced. But, but you know, there's lots of other uh, records maybe from all the way well, from I've, Giorgio Moroder through to kind of, you totally. know, uh, that we were kind of listening to and going, oh, yeah, that's that's where we want it to end up. So let's... Uh, I've got actually some of the references here, which is quite interesting because alongside house music, I was discovering the delights and wonders of techno. And um, I guess this is all familiar. You know, I'm, I'm a child of the UK rave scene, basically. So these sounds are just all part of my makeup. But... You know, holding a Derek May record in my hand and playing it on my sound system, it was a real thing of beauty to suddenly discover it and really just take it all in and just the joys of techno. And about where the dance floor, I was listening to a lot of Cybertron, so One Atkins and Carl Craig. And it was, I kind of wanted to try and do a kind of pop song that had those sort of influences because... I was also really listening to a lot of 80s music, a lot of early 80s electro pop bands like Depeche Mode and who Mark and I both share a love for. And I soon discovered that actually the techno guys were so heavily influenced by Depeche Mode and Depeche Mode were very heavily influenced by techno. So there was this kind of like musical sort of fusion going on behind the scenes between electro pop and techno. And then obviously you have Madonna who who loves techno, um, particularly, you know, when the Detroit scene kind of moved to New York and she's like, I want to make pop music that has a techno beat. So I I sort of, those were the kind of references I was going towards. And um, I remember I actually, um, I did some sounds, like the first sound I think I did was like this sort of acid-y, sounds like that. I remember just coming up with these sort of palettes that were quite heavily influenced by techno sounds. And then I I had an idea of wanting to actually have a vocoder as a chorus. I don't know why I came up with that. I I guess I was just so heavily influenced by Cybertron, you know, my cosmic car or, you know, 
it just I thought wicked you know let's have a vocoder in there and I didn't think any that you know there's no pop songs really that have vocodas in it anymore I, mean, I suppose autotune is the new vocoder maybe so I sort of had these palette of sounds and then I the first thing I did was create the beat so I sort of came up with this kind of like just it's not particularly that techno but I came up with this beat but then had that drone underneath it and then over the top of that I then wrote the um, keyboard line which I don't have I'm gonna try and find it now but I just wanted to play the kind of basics of where I started with that and then I put over the top I knew What's this one? I was just thinking about what they dance for. Yeah, so I did sort of mad things with my vocal. I was just thinking about what they dance for. Like that. Again, speaking along those rhythmic lines of how I sort of sing, I guess I'm sort of um, doing a bit of that really over the top. And so I I, I came up with this kind of, um, yeah, this is the first sort of demo of it. And you can sort of hear the the keyboard line that comes over the top. And it has got a bit of a techno feel to it. I wrote a sort of rough vocal over the top. It's all a bit skew-if in the terms of, like, the rhythm I can hear. So it's all a bit over the place. Um, and here's the Fakoda bit. So that's originally how it was. And is that you? Yeah. Is that you yeah. through the vocoder? Then? Yeah. Right. Because there are lots, in the finished version, there are lots of different voices. Well, like either low in the mix or like they sound like people talking. There's well, a few different things going on. Yeah, I mean, this is, again, the next stage when I took it to Mark and that's where he kind of took over. And, you know, I, the thing is, is that at this point, I was still not thinking about, oh, clarity within vocals. I was still a little bit kind of in that vein of just... um you know, just get down the idea and then I'll take it to Mark type mm. vibe. And the clarity then forms when I worked with Mark and you take the vocal parts and we do our process where we work out what goes where. And and um, that really is the sort of s- the stage with Mark, really. Yeah. And so we go to Mark now. (laughs) So you hear all these different ingredients now, Mark. Yeah. What's your reaction? Well, the first thing is kind of, right, spot the chorus. You know, what is the chorus? You know, and and it's not (laughs) always obvious what should be the chorus. And it's not that whatever is supposed to be the chorus isn't necessarily good enough to be a chorus. Sometimes you just hear things, or I do anyway, when I listen to things, and I kind of go... 
actually i know you think that's the chorus but actually i think that should be the chorus yeah and and that's what we were that's what you said because i thought oh you know i was just thinking but that should i don't know i always thought that that was like a lead up to the chorus i never that's why i always struggled with this song is that i i couldn't hear a chorus and mark brought out the chorus basically yeah, but it's not um a very usual thing to do to go okay let's have a spoken bit as the chorus you know yeah. that's quite yeah. a that's quite a risky strategy because yeah. <laughs> you know but there are definitely examples and i think i must have thought or we must have thought of an example oh well you know if david bowie can do it then you know we can yeah. make this work you yeah. know but you know there are examples of songs which are melodic and then all of a sudden you're just saying something in a non-melodic Be- way for the chorus the beastie boys intergalactic i remember that being quite an influence over this for me it was always like that sort of intergalactic <laughs> you know that's the hook yeah. you always remember from that tune but i think the one thing if you're going to do that which we you'll notice in this chorus we sort of counter the the spoken bit with a very melodic hook on the synth. So you get, I yeah. was just thinking, well, yeah. about work the dance floor, and then it goes, do, 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 do. And so you've always got a bit of that. interplay between a spoken bit and then something that gives you melody. I was just thinking about work the dance floor. So yeah, that's the stack of vocals that we. That's low and low and high. There you go. Always oh, got that one coming in between. Yeah, so so that's your that's your sort of melody, and that takes the place of a vocal doing a melody, if you like. But the thing about this song overall, anyway, at, the, at this point when we were structuring it and the sort of refinements we made as we went along, it's a very very kind of almost clinically executed pop arrangement of the song but you know to counterbalance that it's got lots of slightly oddball sounds and weird things like the spoken chorus like synth sound that sounds like a car skidding sort of like it'd be great to have that keyboard riff that keyboard riff there i think is the the key to it all in a way yeah. that seems to allow you the freedom to have all these other crazy ingredients exactly because that is so epic sounding well, we, we were also referencing I think a lot of Depeche Mode in this song as well and Depeche Mode are, are absolute masters at that and I think even that line we were sort of thinking you know Black Celebration a song of Black Celebration I was just thinking about what the dance floor the other thing to mention is that, and I remember you saying this, Mark, was that actually there's not many elements to it. There's not a yeah. hundred tracks to it. There's literally, it's not even 15. I mean, it's like, it's so sparse, but yeah. Maybe we could hear those individual elements then. Or totally. You- it's literally, so we have about, there's four elements to the drums. Um but that's how it should that, be. That's what a drum kit is. It's four things, you know. That is literally the drums. That's that's just kick, snare, 808. And a, oh yeah, we always add live hats. Mark and I always try and add live hats. 
And as a drummer, Georgia, um, when, when you're putting that beat together, do you turn to your drums or do you get mm. into the drum machine oh, and, well, and which, which way round? No, I mean, for most of this record, Seeking Thrills is basically electronic drums and it's either me yeah. sort of programming it in at home for the demos and then actually when I'm in with Mark... Mark will say, well, look, I have the 808 here and I have the 909. So it's like we'll take those sort of elements and the rhythms that I've done and just elevate them with the actual sort of machines. And that was what we did with About With The Dance Floor. It's 808s, basically. We didn't do the same process as started out where we had it all midied up. I think this one was just a bit yeah. more clinical in the sense that Mark said, just trying to bring out the pop element of it. And um, I think yeah, we so would that, still, so that's... we would still have say, for example, once we got the bass sound, we would have run it live through throughout the track. If even if you've got an electronic beat, if you record hi hats from start to finish in the track, um, using the music as a way of influencing what you do in your live take, you know, so you're listening to the track and you're kind of, you know, you're, you're being dynamic with it. You're getting more energetic in the bigger bits and you're kind of tightening it up on the more um, sparse sections. Yeah. Then you get, you know, really, even if you end up quantizing those hats or kind of grooving them or whatever, so they're more electronic sounding, you've still got the human feel. Every single hit is a different hit and it's a different energy. And you can do the same thing with, say, mm. the bass line. You, maybe the bass line's super repetitive and it's the same notes all the way through, but you can still run that live as a live take on whichever synth you're using and then just stand at the controls of the synth and do kind of subtle or more extreme movements as a take, like a, a musical pass of that part. I do remember this, Mark, that you did do a live take on the Moog for this. It was so much fun, John, seeing Mark up there sort of doing doing the live take of it because actually this, this yeah. song, you do hear the bass kind of open up at places and then close back down the frequency. And that kind of is really important, adding to the whole mix of this kind of suspense and kind of disco feel to it. It just adds really. a, a sort of human feel into all of these electronic instruments that you're you're creating and I, and I do feel the sum total of that is a sort of record that feels like it's living and breathing you know each layer that you record on you're kind of listening to what the other ones did and you're kind of feeling your way through it so that it feels like you're kind of going with the flow when those other instruments open up and become a bit more intense and then pulling them back down and if you track like that way you're treating the song still as a live take and you're kind of you know performing if you like on those instruments then i feel like even though things can be very very repetitive they're all changing and morphing as the track moves along and it makes you feel it keeps your attention for starters and it also gives you dynamics in those parts but you feel like it's rising in intensity and then falling back and changing you know and having some contrast between different sections you can definitely hear that if you really focus in on each yeah. individual element you can hear that it's not just a you know record a bar and then loop it up for the whole track it's a human performance from start to finish totally and i remember you know actually one of the most important things about this song is the bass having that sort of driving 
kind of forcefulness about it and it, it's kind of relentless it sort of happens throughout the whole song but then we have a breather in the middle eight but when you start to add in the other elements we add in a pad that just gave it a bit of depth in the mix I think I remember you know it's um it, it, uh, I always just want bass and drums, but <laughs> you've got to have a bit of like pad to fill it out. And that's, again, that was a performance from you, Mark. I remember we, it was the rising and the, and the tension building. And then we kept some of the original elements. So we have the original sound from the OB6, which goes... That was from the demo. And then all these sort of little sounds as well, actually. I'll just, actually, this is a good thing to sort of talk about because, again, going back to that thing that Mark was talking about, it being a kind of clinical pop song, but also having these kind of strange noises like that, <laughs> adding to the layers. <laughs> and they, we, we always try and add, keep those sounds in. And But I mean, it... You know, it's, it's actually so little to it, really. Oh, yeah, the drone, the drone that was that from the that's demo. From, that's from the original, yeah. That's from the original. I mean, all those, a lot of those quirky sounds you hear will often have originated in George's studio. And often, you know, I, I, they're, little, they're little gems that I'll find in there. She'll bring them in and go, oh, that's just a little thing that's in there that you can't really hear. And then my thing will be to strip everything out and make it the loudest thing in the track at that point. You know, if, if it's, something that's, <laughs> yeah. it's something that's weird and wonderful <laughs> enough, you know. And then obviously it's, you know, that main line, which Mark really felt... Is it possible to hear that main line isolated? Yeah, totally. And, and actually it was Mark's idea that the song needed a hook. And I remember coming back to the studio my studio and thinking ah oh, you know what 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 could the line be and um i remember fiddling around on the ob6 and then i just sort of came up with this sequence of notes i sort of wrote bits of it and then mark you kind of said oh actually it should interplay with the vocal again what we were talking about that's another really good thing that i always enjoy hearing on records when an instrument and a vocal both doing the same thing they're, they're singing in unison and unison's always really powerful on vocals we would always listen to chic as well wouldn't we and and chic yeah, yeah, every, totally. every single chorus with uh, the, the, on a chic record it, i think um doesn't have harmonies it's all just unison vocals all singing the same thing lots of voices singing the same thing so i kind mm. of feel like you know that's something that we probably thought about when we were doing this one because it's got your vocal and the synth both at the same exactly the same pitch doing exactly the same thing definitely yeah and i also remember actually sorry i completely lie i think i wrote this on a glockenspiel oh did you <laughs> 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 I think I remember, yeah, that's, I don't know what made me do that really, but I think there was this part in it, I have to find it, um, oh, hold on, 
If you listen really carefully, you'll be able to hear the glockenspiel on this. I was just thinking about the world to dance from. I was just thinking about the world to dance from. So you can hear the glockenspiel. I think I sort of thought, okay, we need a top line. There's glockenspiel in the demo. I'll, I'll put, I'll write something on the glockenspiel. And then... We put it on a synth like we mm. should do, really, instead of a glockenspiel. But um, I think when I listened, was that the finished record you were playing then or was that the... Uh... No, that was a demo. Okay, yeah, I've seemed to yeah. have a memory of it having the glockenspiel in and it's quite possible. We kept we the glockenspiel, glockenspiel though, in this did. part. Okay, yes, of I thought this. so. Hold on, in the pre-chorus. Yeah. It just just comes in there very subtly. Is that, is that my glockenspiel uh, in the studio? Can yeah. We record it. And then we kept the. Da, 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 with you. Yeah, that's because right. I I was upset. I'm a you know LCD sound system. I think uh, that uh, was a sort uh, of uh. reference there that um, I love the way that he sometimes backs up his melodies with glockenspiel. And also I, I heard it a lot in Depeche Mode as well, which I'm presuming is where he kind of was referencing anyway. But um, yeah, yeah, I think we recorded that in your, yeah, in we your studio. We were listening to Everything Counts as well. Yes, we? and, yes, And blasph- exactly. Blasphemous Rumours as well, you know. That's another oh. Blasphemous <laughs> Rumours is very sort of, it's very industrial on the percussion and stuff. Um, and it's got lots of, like what sounds like kind of real industrial sounds that have been sampled, like breaking glass and hitting of metal girders and, you know, all yeah. that kind of stuff. And and I think we, you know, we were trying to add a bit of that into this, almost a yeah. slightly industrial, slightly Giorgio Moroder disco. And also, I think, a, you know, a bit of, you know, the energy that Robin has in her electronic sort of dance floor hits. So... I think it's a real mishmash yeah. of different influences and it's uh, it's difficult to sort of differentiate, I think, because it is what I was talking about before. Once you get lots of different influences that you're throwing in there, the record becomes a kind of melting pot of all your ideas and then, you know, turns into its own beast, you know. I think this song was also a great example of, again, the way that you brought out my vocals as well, Mark, because it's... Mm. I do remember feeling like you know this was the first time me really singing a kind of pop song I think for me the dance floor during this period of writing this record became something of a mystery to me you know why why do people love to go out and dance so much you know what is it and what does it bring to people how does it affect their lives what's you know and I think that sort of way of thinking about the dance will really influence these lyrics in a way because it is like, you know, referencing myself. I don't have much of, in terms of money now. I don't have material gifts. I don't, you know, but to be in a moment with you, to be in a moment on the dance floor, to be in a moment that's beyond reason, that's beyond a kind of comprehension is at the end of the day what, human beings thrive on and I think that was the sentiment behind the song really and um yeah it's I remember writing those lyrics and I remember my mum coming into the studio and she was like those are kind of classic lyrics really they sound like the age-old tales of 
you know, pop songs. And I think it was, you know, as soon as I wrote those lyrics, I, I knew that this was kind of a pop song, really, you know, a yeah. weird, weird, twisted pop song in a way. I think also <laughs> yeah. when you have your bit of metaphor in there as well, and certainly I, I, I do like songs that kind of um, leave open to are open to interpretation and and different people make mm. different things of them and, and and i think that's totally valid of a song just meaning a different th different things to different people you know depending on what mm. they oh, totally. are it, going through in their life at that particular time and they're listening to it totally yeah i mean it's really really important that kind of thing and it's been really really interesting hearing this journey that you clearly went through together creating Seeking Thrills, you know, and only recently on another episode mm. of Tape Notes, we were talking to Muramasa and you did a guest spot on his album, Georgia, his latest album. Yes. And, you know, already, I think maybe the fruits of this journey that you've been through with Mark for Seeking Thrills has allowed you to do these other guest spots with lots of different people. And you can oh, walk in there absolutely. and think of yourself yeah, as a vocalist. Completely. You're not walking in there as you used to, say, five years ago when you'd have totally. your drum sticks in your hand and you'd say, right, no, where's the kit or whatever. And that's really interesting. Absolutely. And that, I think that to a little extent, we've explored that today and, and what, you know, this thing that you mm -hmm. had to go through in order to, to get to that point. And also for Mark to bring out that kind of pop sensibility that is in you. But then you've also got your sound system culture and your totally. techno background, you know, that kind of <laughs> something else as well, you know, and it, it's been really great to be able to hear about it. Yeah, I, I just want to say that it's completely true. I, th I think what Mark, you know, the journey that we went through on this album and that we, we're on together, it's been so incredible. I've learned so much and it's so true. I mean, without sort of Mark's process really I, I don't think I'd feel as confident as a singer really and, and these songs also, I think that's yeah, yeah. I, was, I was gonna say I think it's also true in the other direction I mean I I don't ever sort of consider myself as knowing everything there is to know about making songs making records I, I kind of one thing I learned when I did a couple of albums with Sly and Robbie years ago and they told me that they they always just sit there and pick up things from people who are 40 odd years younger than them and they're, they're stealing their ideas in just <laughs> just as much of a sort of magpie type way as the younger people are from from them and their experience and I have the same attitude everybody I work with and every record I make I'm learning as much from them as they're learning from me you know and it's a, like an exchange mm. of information and an exchange mm. of of ideas and and inspiration and i feel like you know every record you make subsequently will you'll take a little piece of that thing that you picked up on you know even if people come and work with me who are a lot less experienced and a lot younger they're, they're doing things in different ways to me and and that's always interesting and that's always uh, fascinating to kind of you know borrow from you know so as much as georgia says she's learned a lot of things from me it was a two-way thing and i definitely developed and learnt from the things she was doing as well so uh, there we I mean, go I, I always think it's interesting when <laughs> a you big have a big lovey session oh, now yeah. <laughs> if we were all together yeah, we'd be a, having a big group uh, hug I agree. <laughs> but it is interesting don't you think when you have different generations working together because yeah. Um, yeah, in, yeah, in totally. some ways you might not have thought about Depeche Mode for a couple of decades Mark you know, and then for Georgia to have discovered Depeche for herself kind of reignites that interest 
and that excitement that you once had for them, you know, mm-hmm. back in 1980, whenever it was. And, mm-hmm. and I think that's quite interesting because I, I've found this a lot just as a DJ where, you know, a younger generation will discover a band that you too love, but they'll go for tracks that you didn't necessarily. Yeah. They'll think this right. other song is the best. Whereas, you know, when you've lived through an era and certain songs have been hits, you might go for those instead. And it's always quite interesting that different reaction that other people bring to something when they discover it for themselves in a different context. You know, they recontextualize sure. it, I think. Um, I, we should let you all go because you're all caught <laughs> up in, in your, all, your own worlds and, um, you know, you've got other responsibilities to be getting on with. But I think we need to finish really with the finished version of About Work, the dance floor. It's the only way. And we'll all join in our imaginary dance floors together and share more moments with each other. Oh, yeah. Those special moments with you, you know, as we dance to the sound of it. Brilliant. That's a great way to end. That is right there. Thanks so much, Georgia. Thanks so much no, again, thank Mark. thank you. Thank you for having me and Mark. And uh, thank you, yeah, John, as always. A special episode of Take Notes for AIM, seeking thrills with Georgia and Mark, Ralph, together and working the dance floor. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you have a moment, do tell your friends and leave us a review. It all really helps. Thanks to those of you who have already donated to the show. I'm just one part of the team that brings you tape notes. It relies on your support. If you'd like to donate, please head to our website. To ask a question on a future episode or find out who's coming up, head to our socials and on Instagram, you can see pictures from the recording sessions for each episode of Tape Notes. Once again, thank you for listening. Until next time, goodbye.